Hi, Chris Valentin here. Welcome to my podcast, where I hope to inspire you to walk in your royal identity in Christ and experience God's goodness in every area of your life. I hope you enjoy this message today. And if you're looking for more resources, check out chrisvalentin.com. Lord bless this congregation in Jesus' name. Amen. We did a statistical study on our students uh, about a month ago, a, a, a professional statistical company, and we found out a few things that are really kind of cool. One in six of our students meet their mate at our school. The dream is alive. 200 of our, our, I mean, our students have planted 200 churches. 500 of them work in government, someplace in government. They've individually led like 38,000 people to the Lord. And like three, three million in large crusades. So that's pretty good. One of the best statistics, and what I want to talk to you about this morning is about healthy families, is 96% of our students who were married five years ago are still married, which the national average is 23, uh, 23%, so that means that our students, 4% of our students are, are divorced, which means that our students are about five times more likely to stay together. So that's a good statistic. Did you let go of hands? <laughs> Some of the single people are still smiling, huh? So this morning I want to talk about healthy families, developing healthy families. And, you know, some years ago, I think it was like five or six years ago, Danny Silk and I, was, we were a part of a city transformation team, which included the sheriff and the police uh, chief and the, the uh, fire chief and you know, city council members, just people like that. And we asked them a question, what is the root cause of most of the problems you face in our city? And there was 15 of them in there, if I remember correctly. And to a person, they said fatherlessness. And, you know, we are the most, we're not the most fatherless generation in history, but we're the most fatherless generation in history that didn't lose their fathers to war. In other words, our fathers are not at war or our fathers get killed in war. And so oftentimes what's happening is is that we are oftentimes teaching um, family principles to people who have grown up in an orphanage. And it's a little hard for us to embrace some of these, these family values. And I, I think that our moral values in our, in our nations, I was going to say nation, but actually all over the world, are reminiscent of the fact that people don't know how to do family. And so I want to talk a little bit about family. I've been married 42 years. <laughs> Kathy and I got engaged when she was 13, so we've been together for five years before that. I know, that's how dysfunctional our families were. And um, I want to talk a little bit about family values and family core values and just how to have a happy marriage. And uh, Jason, my son, said, I've often had problems bigger than me, but I've never had a problem bigger than my family. And so I want to talk to you about some core values, like some values that will actually strengthen your family and probably, and if you're having issues, maybe these are values that you're, you haven't grasped or you're not applying um, to your own life. And the first one is this, put your, your spouse first because marriage means you have come into a relationship to lay down your life for them. Now, the difference between marriage and cohabiting. How many of you know people that, well you don't have to raise your hand, you, we all know people that have two or three children with a, with, with a, you know, as a couple. I mean, they actually had children together and they don't marry. And you're like, why don't you marry? And they go, oh, it's just a piece of paper. I'm like, really, if it's just a piece of paper, why don't you sign it? 
I'll tell you why you don't sign it, because the marriage document metaphorically says, I'll be with you forever. And in cohabiting, I've come in this relationship for what I can get, not what I can give. So I use the fear that I'm going to abandon you. I use the fear that I'm going to abandon you to actually get you to do what I want. Because I've not come in this relationship for your benefit, I've come in it for mine. But marriage is a death march to a life camp. <laughs> I'll let that soak in for just a moment. <laughs> marriage is a death mark to a life camp. It means that I've come in covenant. I've made a covenant. And that covenant means that I've, I, there's bloodshed in the covenant, and that means I've come to lay my life down. The way a great marriage works is that I look out for Kathy's needs, I lay down my life for her, and she lays down her life for me. This is the ecosystem of a great marriage. The ecosystem of great marriages, I don't come into the marriage looking out for me, I come into the marriage looking out for her. And so, thank you. In Philippians chapter two, I think there's a, this is a great passage, not just for married couples, but I, I love this uh, passage. Do nothing from emptiness or, or, I'm sorry, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility, regard with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own interests. And by the way, the word merely is not in the original text. It reads like this in the original text. Do not look out for your own interests, but for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourself that was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself, taking on the, bonds, the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, I'm sorry, being made in the likeness of men, <laughs> Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him. Here, this is a beautiful picture of marriage. Like, I come and I humble myself. What does humility mean? How many know, I love what Heidi Baker said. She said, love looks like something. And in marriage, love looks like I've come here to lay down my life so that you can have life. I've come here to die so you can live. This is marriage. A lot of people, they marry, but they never merge. How many know the word marriage comes from the command to Adam and Eve that a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two, which were, how many know, the woman was in the man, God took the woman out of the man, and then God said, and then Adam prophesied that the woman and the man shall cleave and become one flesh again. Do you realize that God never counts women in a crowd after that? 5,000 men. Why? Because the two are supposed to become one. It's funny to me that a lot of people spend a year planning their wedding and spend thousands of dollars on their wedding and don't spend five minutes on their marriage. <laughs> Good point, Chris. Thank you for that. I'm saying, what would happen if you did a DTR before you got married? Define the relationship. What would happen if you sat down beforehand and began to talk through what it's going to look like when you're married? What would happen if you actually came with a strategic plan, and I mean a Holy Spirit, we call it sporadities, spirit-led strategy. <laughs> what if you had a sporadity for your marriage? That you didn't just spend a year on the wedding, but you spent a year on the marriage. How many know some people have mistaken the wedding for the marriage? Okay, good point, Chris. Number two, your spouse should be your closest friend, your greatest ally, your most bonded companion, and your covenant partner in life. How many of you know trials either bond you or they break you? 
dependent on whether you leave or cleave. Wow, that was heavy. Trials are actually good for you. It's, it's, it's in walking through trials, it's in the heat of trials that we actually become, like we actually bond together. Are you with me? James said, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, let endurance have its perfect result. You may be complete and lacking in nothing. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all men without reproach. What's the point? How many of you have ever been through a trial? How many of you have ever been happy when you're going through a trial? Consider it all joy. I'd like to propose to you that happy and joy are not the same thing. I'd like to propose to you that fun and joy definitely aren't the same thing. I have never gone through a bad trial and been this is so good. Thank you, Jesus. You know, it all works out for good in the end. How many know that? If it's not good, it's not the end. But the point is, the process is not always, sometimes the process is painful. Are you with me? And in the midst of that process, that process is what bonds us from one to two, whether we leave or we cleave. In other words, when we're going through the process of trial, one of the most important things that we do is, first of all, we don't blame each other for the trial. This is your fault. You would have listened to me. You, you, husbandish person. No, no, no. We don't blame each other for the trial. Because how many understand that if you complain, then you're not going to be creative about the solution? Number two, we encourage each other in the midst of trials. This is the time to bond. This is the time to say to your mate, we're going to make this. This is going to work out. Well, what if your mate made a mistake and that's why you're in trials? How many know that's part of better or worse? It's funny, we said better or worse, but I'm not sure we mean it. And so we can get the most, even if, you, even if God didn't create this trial, even if you know, the spirit of stupid created this. How many have ever had that? I certainly have. And you did something dumb and you created a trial for yourself. It's like at least get everything you can for your relationship. Years ago, we went through um, lots of trials. You were like, yeah, like yesterday. We were, um, we were in, in business in Weaverville, California. 3,000, it's, it's a town of 3,000 in the mountains, and it snows like it actually has real snow. <laughs> it was so funny. It snowed about a half inch here, and people were like, we, we're going to close the school system and close the police department. <laughs> Whatever. We live in snow for three months a year. And so, and you know, you can shoot a cannonball down Main Street in Weaverville in the winter. And the challenge is, is that the kind of business we're in requires skilled labor. Like mechanics, you can't just like go find them. So we had this challenge of trying to keep our men busy in the wintertime so that the other nine months of the year, we, we actually had a team. And that meant that it was very tough to keep our payroll made and, uh, you know, make our payrolls. And, and I remember... Um, Thursday night, I used to call Thursday hell day, because Thursday, Friday was payroll. And I can remember Thursday night, pacing the floor, needing $15,000 to make payroll and having no money in the bank, and just praying all night long till morning. And, you know, and it's, it, this is just tough times. And so, you know, I, would, I was doing what I could to, like, not have the guys work any overtime and try to keep the payroll low and working 12 hours a day just to get us through the season. And, uh, and so one day, I, so I was getting there at 7 in the morning, leaving at 7 at night, and just, just trying to get us through the three months of winter. 
And one night, uh, one of the cars that I was supposed to work on, the parts were wrong, so I'm like, I might as well just go home. So I go home at 5.30. It's pitch dark. There's snow on the ground. We live back in the woods. And I get to my house, and it's all dark. I'm like, oh, Kathy and the kids are gone. But I go up this hill. where Our house is up on the top of a hill. I go up the hill. When I get to the top of the hill, I see Kathy's car parked there. Now I'm kind of like freaked out. I'm like, oh, her car's there, but the... There's no lights on anywhere in the house. There's no sign of life. Anybody ever panicked like that before? Funny, your imagination is a great painter, right? Especially if you're a prophetic guy. Then you see it in 3D, full color. So I run up the steps, and I open the door, and my three kids are in little tents, three little tents made out of blankets. And there's lanterns in the, in the room, in the front room, and there's a wood stove. And when I open the door, they're like, Hi, Daddy. I said, what are you guys doing? They're like, we're playing camping. You're playing camping. We're playing camping. Just then, Kathy comes out of the kitchen where there was another glowing light in there, lantern, and she's like, what are you doing home? What's going on? Why are you home? Why? It's only 5.30. You don't have music. Like, like, what's going on? I'm like, what? Yeah, what's going on? I'd like to know what's going on. And so she goes out the front door, and I'm following her. I said, can you please tell me what's going on? And we get over to the breaker box, and she turns the, opens the breaker box and turns the main switch on, and all the lights come on. And I go, well, what is that about? And she said, well, you know, things are really tight, and I, I have the kids at home, so it's very difficult for me to go to work, and I just wanted to help. So I throw the breaker in the morning right after you leave. And a half an hour before you come home, I turn it back on so you won't be uncomfortable. Never a complaint, never a, you got us in this position, just, we're in this together. I'd be in bed at night, and especially on Thursdays, and I'd be crying myself to sleep, and, and she'd just put her arms around me and say, we're going to get through this. We got this. We've been here before. I'm convinced that my children learn how to do life from their little teepees from their little tents in the morning I'm convinced that my children learned how to walk through trials by watching their mama grab a hold of the situation and say we're going through this we're together in this there's something about trials that bond you or break you depending on whether you cleave or leave and when I'm talking about leaving, I'm not talking about like, obviously, if you leave the house, if you get separated, of course. But I'm talking about being emotionally shut down, where I just put you and I just, I just push you off into an ice castle. And I'm over here just protecting my heart from challenges and problems. And I just want to really encourage you, everybody goes through trials. The difference between a good marriage and a bad marriage isn't what happens to you but what happens in you. And you have full control over that. How many understand that feelings are great servants, but terrible masters? I'd like to propose to you that you are not how you feel. And that how you feel isn't how you are. Let me just say that again. You are not how you feel. And your feelings, you are 
your, your feelings are not how you're doing. Okay. Are you bored? Turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. I love this one. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Everybody say, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Next verse. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now, how many know that they were both told to be subject to one another in the previous verse? Are you with me? So we have to admit that the Lord emphasized to the woman, but he told them both to subject themselves to one another. Look at the next verse. For the husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church, being himself the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their own husbands. Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water, by the word of God. This is a great passage. How many know that he says, submit to one another, wives submit to your husbands, and the next verse says, husbands die. (laughs) It seems odd to me the way we read this. We read it like this. Wives, subject yourself to your husbands. Husbands die. Pretty hard to be, it's pretty easy to be in submission to somebody who's dead. Did you notice the husband and the wife were supposed to be in submission to one another, but only the husband's told to die? How many of you have heard counsel like this? Honey, speaking to the woman who's about to get married, the bride. When you get married, you lay down your life and all of your dreams and all your desires and everything you've ever wanted to do. If you have a happy thing, just lay it down because you are here to give your life to your husband. How many of you have heard something like that? Chris, exaggerate just a little bit, make it funny. Isn't it funny that the Bible says that the men are the ones who lay down their life? Isn't it funny that the Bible says, submit to one another, but it says to husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And you're like, okay, well, let's say that you believe that husbands have authority over their wife. Let's say you do. The, the most, um, the, the, that's one way to read the passage. He said, love your wife as Christ loved the church. What did Christ do for the church? Died for her. After he died for her, what did he do? He empowered her to the highest place. You are seated with Christ, what? In heavenly places. How many understand, if you use authority to oppress someone, you miss the point. If you're like, well, I believe husbands have the final word in the house. Well, okay, are you using that, are you using your authority to empower your wife like Jesus did, or are you using it to oppress your wife? I remember years ago, we were, um, I was counseling. Dan Fairley and I were the, our, were the counselors here for the first three years. And everybody's like, oh. <laughs> oh. That had to be really interesting. Yeah, we didn't have a lot of counseling problems. <laughs> and I had counseled this woman who was a believer and uh, really helped her. I, I think I had two or three sessions with her. And she said, would you meet with my husband? He's not a believer, but he's agreed to meet with you. I said, sure, I'd love to meet with him. 
So he came in the office. He was really nervous and scared and anxious, you know, and sweaty and shaky. And I was trying my best to make him feel comfortable. Well, in the probably uh, 15 or 20 minutes into the counseling session, they started yelling at each other. And he said, I took you to Paris twice in four years. And she said, but you won't pick up your underwear. <laughs> Screaming at each other. I said, whoa, 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 time out. And I looked at him and I said, you can't fix with a Paris trip what you broke with your underwear. Marriage isn't an event. I can't treat you like hell 300 days a year and, and then take you to heaven once a year and think you're, everything's going to be okay. Marriage is about daily walking out life with one another. Daily. So here's the deal. Do what you do when you feel like it, when you don't. Secret to marriage. Do what you do when you feel like it. Some people are like, sex. I'm like, no, no, I'm not talking about sex. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> I forgot, you guys are Christians. I should have known that wouldn't touch you. <laughs> do what you do when you feel like it, when you don't. I really believe that this is 75% of a great marriage. Yes. I treat my wife great when I feel like it. But when I don't feel like it, I treat her great too. Why? Because love isn't a feeling. How many know, if, don't marry the person you fall in love with. Because if you fell for one person, you can fall for another. A fall is an accident. If you fall in love with someone, you better... Are you with me? If you fall in love with someone, how many know you better actually grow in love with them because falling in love if they can fall in love with one person how many know they can fall in love with another and what i'm getting at is like we have a feeling culture where we exalted feelings and above covenant i'm like how i don't feel like i love her anymore well love's not a feeling love in love connects to feelings love inspires feelings but love is not a feeling here's the here's the one here's the worst one she doesn't make me happy Okay, I remember a friend of mine, I used to have one. <laughs> Very wealthy man, owned a trucking company. And uh, he was having trouble in his marriage and in his business. And so he found, did some research, he's kind of that kind of guy, just did some research and he found a, a marriage uh, counselor who was the, one of the top marriage counselors in the nation on the East Coast and my friend lives on the West Coast and he has his own plane. So he made an appointment, it took him like five, six weeks to get in. He flies there finally to, on the East Coast to, to meet with this marriage counselor, and he sits down, and the marriage counselor, you know, it's very expensive, like $200 an hour at the time. And so the marriage counselor said, so, okay, what are you doing here? He said, well, my wife, I, 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 I'm, I'm depressed, I'm discouraged. My wife and I are having a tough time in our marriage. My only son and I, our relationship's strained, and my business is losing money. And the counselor said, Okay, so what are you doing here? What's the problem? He said, well, my wife and I are having a struggle in our marriage. I'm, de I, I'm depressed because my wife and I are struggling in our marriage. And my son and I, we're, we're, having, we're in a conflict, and, and my, my business is losing money. And the counselor said, I, yes, uh, sir, you told me that. So why are you here? 
And my friend goes, my wife and I are not getting along. My son and I are in a battle and my business is losing money and I'm depressed. And he said, well, happiness is an inside job, so why are you here? My friend got up, wrote the man a check, put it on his desk, and commenced to leave. And the counselor's like, he's running after my, it's to say, Mr. Jones, Mr. Jones, Mr. Jones, what are you doing? What, what, did I offend you? No, you gave me the answer I was looking for. I thought I was discouraged and depressed because of my relationships and my business, and I realized I'm discouraged and depressed because I chose to be discouraged and depressed. And that guy's in my life for, he's still in my life, not as much as he was before, but he, he probably told me that story 50 times in our life. It was such an impactful story for him. I choose joy. You want to destroy your marriage? Write this down. Make it your spouse's responsibility to make you happy. Oh, that always works. I'm just not happy. It must be her fault. It must be his fault. You don't make me happy. I'm gonna make you love me. No, I'm sorry. Great song, just not true. You made me mad. How many know nobody makes you mad? You had to have mad with you. Mom and a daughter go into a store and they get to a cashier and after they leave, mom goes, that guy made me so mad. And the daughter goes, no mom, you brought mad with you when you came in the store. You can't always help what happens to you. She can always help what happens in you. Communication. I want to talk to you about one of the tools of a great marriage. Communication. One of the main goals of a healthy marriage is to create a safe place to listen and be heard. Listen from the heart. Share your feelings, not just what you are thinking. Proverbs 18.2. This is a great warning for all of us. N not me, because I'm, I'm the pastor of this church. <laughs> Probably Bill and Eric struggle with this, though, I would guess. <laughs> Proverbs 18.2. A fool does not delight in understanding, but only revealing his own mind. By the way, that would not be either one of them. I'm obviously joking. A fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. Listen, when somebody has a problem with you, you know, very few people get paid to talk. So, when I communicate, my words aren't necessarily what I'm trying to say. So when I say to you, every time I come in, it doesn't feel like you love me. I'm like, I do love you. No, no, stop. What are you actually saying? What, what is it? that makes me, makes you feel like I don't love you. And I deflect my need to defend myself because I've come here to die. And I go, you may not have said it right, but you have a need I'm not meeting. <laughs> and a wise person has a discerning spirit and goes, okay, okay, I do love you. Well, that's not helpful. I don't feel like you do. Why don't I feel like? Because you don't love me. Okay. Okay, we can get in a shouting match or I can begin to unearth the challenge that you have inside of you. And if you're not a professional orator, 
you're not used to painting with words, the chances are that you didn't say it exactly right. But you have a real problem, you have a real issue, or you wouldn't have brought it up. Now, when we get talking, it may not be my problem. It might be your problem. It, there may be something you have to deal with. But my point is, is that you have a real one. Are you following me? Ask to clarify. Make sure the other person feels heard. Here, here's a... Uh, when you're communicating, you're not communicating to agree. Sometimes I hear you, you hear me, and because we both have a brain, we actually just don't see it the same way. Sometimes it feels like in marriage, or even in anything, in friendship, it feels like if we're gonna walk together, we both have to have the same opinion about everything. And I'd propose to you that's a slave-master relationship. So when I'm communicating with Kathy, my goal is to understand exactly what she, issue is, her issue is. Like, what exactly is her issue? I ask questions, I stay engaged, I, 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 I stay, you know, I, I keep my, my eyes pointed at her, I'm not texting while she's talking. Yeah, right here, I got this. Honey, let me, just one second, let me just finish that. The game's almost over. That's why God created DVDs <laughs> and DVRs. But what I'm getting at is this, is that communication isn't about being right. It's about being heard. If you measure being heard, by if you, if you actually heard me, you would agree with me. I'd propose to you that if you're, that's your core value in communication, that you've come to manipulate the person. And you basically said, if you really had a value for me, then you would agree with everything. How many of you know God doesn't agree with you? <laughs> Often. Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. One of the, uh, one of the goals, are you bored? One of the goals of communication is to de-escalate people. I remember um, when I was in, in business, in the auto parts business especially, people would come in, of course, you know, we have three auto parts stores, and people would come in, and they'd throw their brake shoes on the counter, like, these are the wrong ones, and I've been here three times, and they're the wrong ones, and they're like, you know, I remember one time this guy got some brake shoes and threw them at our wall, and everything fell off the wall, and he was screaming and yelling, and my guys were screaming back at him, and I, I walked in, and I'm like, whoa, 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 stop. Mr. Jones, first of all, let me just say this. We don't make customers first, we make friends first. And the goal of this interaction we're having is to make sure you walk out getting what you need. Now, if we messed it up, we'll take care of it. If we did mess it up, likely we'll take care of it anyway. So, why don't you tell me exactly what your problem is? Blah, 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 blah. Mr. Jones, your truck is probably a 67, which has a totally different brake system. Does this look like the right ones? Yes, sir. Well, you gave us the wrong ear. No problem, though. Let's make sure you're taken care of. And the point is, is that I'm de-escalating him so we can actually have a conversation. Because how many know there's a difference between dialogue and a debate? Amen. A debate is I've come to interact with you to win. A dialogue is I've come to interact with you that we might actually come to an understanding and bring closure. And closure isn't about agreeing. Closure is about you knowing, even if I don't agree with you, I value you.
Something happens when I take the time to not get angry with you, and I, and, and I just de-escalate you, and I go, hey, hey, girl, I'm really sorry, whatever it is I had done, I did wrong, let's have a conversation. Now, that's not Kathy, she never yells. Wish she would sometimes. There's a thing about communication that's really important that we've done for, I think, we've been married 42 years, I think, 42 years, I think for 40. And, and it started out as a game. And I would say to her, and I do this probably twice a year, I say to her, typically when we're laying in bed, is there anything, are you happy? She goes, yes. She always says yes. I say, is there anything I can do to make you happier? She always says no. Then here comes the fun. I go, there is not one thing you're asking Jesus for? Not one. Like, you're not praying for anything besides what you have, whether it be, you know, a, a, a possession or... So we do this, and it usually results in something. When our kids were little, it's like, well, it'd be really awesome to have a four-hour break from the kids. If I could just have a four-hour break, I would look forward to it all week long. It, it was stuff like that. And then as we've gotten older, obviously, it's changed. I remember um, having this conversation about eight years ago. We were coming home, I think, from Australia, and we were in a plane. And we were in a plane for obviously a long time. So I turned to her and I said, are you happy? Yes, I'm happy. Is there anything I could do to make you happier? No. Really? There's not one thing you're praying for. <laughs> and we, this is the game we play. And she said, well, someday I'd like to have horses. I said, okay, when we get home, we're going to buy horses. She said, oh, no, no, we can't do it right now. We've got to wait till we're older. I'm like, how old are you going to be? You're going to be so old, you're not going to be able to get on the horse. <laughs> Maybe get a little Shetland pony or something. <laughs> she says, no, we can't do this right now. And I'm like, we have the money. Let's just do it. She's like, oh, I don't know. You know, oh. Okay, I said, listen, listen. We're not having this conversation. I'm going to buy two horses. I don't know a thing about horses, so you might want to participate. <laughs> well, first I said, We're going to buy, I'm going to buy you a horse. She goes, oh, you have to buy them in twos because they, they gather. What do you call it? Herd. They're herd animals. They, they have to be together. Oh, crap. Okay. <laughs> so we get home, and within a month or two, we own two horses. Now, how many of you have ever heard the, the, the phrase that a boat is a black hole? How many of you have ever owned a black hole boat? Yeah, and, and basically it means it sits in your garage and there's a, there's a hallway to hell in it. You use it four times a year and you just pour money in it. It's not true. Boats are blessed of God. You can put them in the garage and cover it and never see it again and it's just like... Horses are not like boats. Horses have to have stuff. They poop. And we have two supernatural horses, so they eat one bay of hay and they poop two. <laughs> we'll figure out how to do something with that. So we get two horses, and maybe the horses were like 5000 a piece or something. No, they weren't super expensive horses. But then we had to have a fence. Not just any fence. A fence fence. A horse fence. Then we had to have a barn. Then we had to have hay. Then we had to have a shelter. Then we had to have a truck because we needed a trailer to pull the horses. And then the horses, they have to have their teeth ground. 
like often. And then they have to have their, their, their nails ground. They have to put shoes on and take them off and be dewormed. And I'm like... <laughs> and she goes out every morning at 7 o'clock and feeds the horses and every night at 5.30 and feeds them and shovels poop. This is dedication. And if you stop doing that, it's not like a boat that just goes... The horse just goes... So we get these horses, you know, and we spend, I don't know, I bet we spend $150,000 on fences and barns and cars and, and trailers and nails and teeth and worming and deworming and it doesn't stop. I'm going to have to write like five more books just to keep the horses in hay. The really cool thing is when Kathy gets on a horse, I still love it. I'll have to sit on my porch and watch her ride and just cry. I just love to think that I was able to do something that she really wanted. Contrast that when I was 20, in my 20s, and I bought her a chainsaw for Christmas. Have you ever got older and you look back and you're like, what was I thinking? <laughs> Two years later, I made a list of everything we needed in our house, including a toilet seat. And I bought her 14 gifts, and they were all house products, like to uh, you know, a, a toilet seat, a mop. She was so excited. Oh, you didn't have to buy all these gifts? Money's tight. I'm like, oh, no problem. You're going to get a gift, and it's also going to fix the house. It kind of killed two birds with one stone. <laughs> There's something about loving a person the way they can receive instead of loving the person the way you would receive. People are like, you have horses. I'm like, no, I don't even like horses. They follow me around the yard, but I don't even get on them. Because I want her to have a place. You know, our friends have always been my friends that she participates in, and now she has her own friends. Like, they go cattle on cattle drives. <laughs> We'd like to take four of us, and we're going to go on a cattle drive. Are they paying you for that? No, we have to pay to go. It's not the way it works on Bonanza. <laughs> they go on cattle drives and barrel racing and do all kinds of stuff, and they go to Europe and hang out together. And I'm like, I just... Somebody asked me the other day, it's probably been six months ago, they said, do you have any regrets in your marriage? And I said, I regret I didn't do that five years earlier. I regret that I didn't engage Kathy at her point of love five years earlier. If you've never lived like this, it is so beautiful to sit on your back porch and see her run and laugh. And every time she comes in, she tells me, oh, Dreamer did this. That's the horse. And, you know, and Legend said this. <laughs> and when I walk out there, she's like, oh, he's nudging you because he wants da-da-da. I'm like, how do you know that? She's like, oh, yeah, I've talked to the horses and... There's something about engaging people at their point of their passion instead of yours. I want to pray for you. Would you stand? Would you just put your hand on your heart? I'm just going to pray for you all.
Father, I thank you for these folks and the people watching by Bethel TV. I just thank you for them. And God, I pray that you would give them the secret of a great marriage. That, Lord, when we see people who are living together or people that are living in a gay relationship, Lord, we would be such an example to people that they go, I want that. I don't know what that is, but I want that. And Lord, I pray that we would come to our relationship with a laid down life. And that we would benefit one another. And literally, we would mine the desires of our spouses. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you want to find out more, read my blog or listen to the previous podcast episodes. Go to chrisvelleton.com. Have an awesome day.